Let me go ahead and read our passage for today. This is Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, um, as we consider your faithfulness, as we consider your mercies that you've demonstrated uh, by sending your son to the cross, um, by being a high priest who prays for us, uh, by being a counselor and helper with us wherever we go, as we consider these things, I pray that you would ignite in us uh, love for one another, that you would grow us in the way that we care for each other, uh, that we would bring you glory by loving each other well. So I pray you would teach us um, how to love each other, what it means, and our lives and our church would be characterized by this incredible, beautiful love uh, for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, we've been talking about the Trinity, the triune God, and we've discussed the different persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how we have the acceptance and we relate to each one of these members. So last week, Edwin talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of like this vague, spooky ghost, like, ooh, scary. No, Um, the Holy Spirit is God saying to us, I want to be with you wherever you are. I want to help you uh, in your everyday life. You can have an ongoing relationship and conversation with me. And then the Holy Spirit even uh, helps us experience the truth of God's love as a father for us, okay? And so what we're gonna talk today about is the implications of our acceptance and our relationship with the Trinity and how this is something that totally transforms the way we relate to other people, okay? Uh, So I want you to think for a second. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have downloaded a dating app? If you wanna raise your hands, you can raise your hands if you want. Uh, So if you, uh, you all know how dating apps work. Uh, I don't know what the cool, hip one nowadays is, but you know people talk about like Hinge or Tinder or Coffee Meets Bagel or whatever it might be. There are a lot of different dating apps, and they all bumble. They all have their own kind of like niche that they're going for. And so uh, if you want to be in a relationship, you set up your dating profile, right? You tell people various facts about yourself, uh, you know, your education, your job, what you like, your interests, your hobbies, whatever it might be. And then you match based on shared interests, right? So their profile, you like look at their profile and you're like, nah, I'm not interested in them. Like they're ugly, I'm gonna swipe left. And then, oh, they're kind of cute, I'm gonna swipe right. Whatever it might be. So uh, you have all of these characteristics that you're looking for in other people. Uh, But I want you to ask you this question. So like, actually, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, What do you want in a significant other? And if, if you're not interested in this, what do you want in a friend or family, family member? Not just superficial things, but what kind of characteristics do you want these people to have? So blurt some out. 
We, I actually did basically this exact same exercise a few, week, like, um, a few months ago when we were preaching on this, but I want to do it again because it's important. So what characteristics do you admire and want in someone that you have a deep relationship with? What do we think? I think this is actually a profound question. What do we think? Yeah, what you got? Loyalty. Loyalty. You're, you're a bright one. Yeah, that's good. We don't want someone who flakes the moment things get hard, right? We want someone who's loyal. What else? Patience? Patience? That's good. Because you re require a lot of patience to be around. <laughs> uh, friendly? What else? Supportive. Supportive? Smart. Smart? Okay. No dummies for you. <laughs> Gentle. Gentle? Yeah, what else? So um, those are all a really good list. And I, the, the test I always want to pose to people, and this is like, this is almost cliched advice um, within Christian circles or within, you know, like when you're going on a dating app, you think a lot about the qualifications or the checklist of the people you're dating. Have you ever considered yourself? Um, and so make a list, do the list of things you want in other people, and then I want you to go to your closest friend Show them your list and ask them, how well do you think I embody these traits in my friendship with you or my marriage with you or whoever it might be? What do you guys think? If you were going to go to your closest friend, do you think you are a person who actually demonstrates and lives out the different qualities that you expect of other people? I hope you can see how this is quite challenging. Because um, as a preacher, I constantly say things from the pulpit, and then my wife points out to me all the ways in which I am not living <laughs> up to these qualities. And that's really helpful, because I'm not, I don't live these things out perfectly. Um, I paint a picture of what God's word says is possible for us as Christians, but in many ways, like I'm, I'm not in a different camp as you, I'm no better than you. I really need to examine myself and say, how can I grow as a husband, as a father, as a friend? How can I exhibit these traits? Now, why is this so important? Um, Christianity, at its very core, is about love. Like, do you guys want to have good relationships with each other? Do you want to be able to love people well? Um, if you want to know what love means, what it means to love someone well, um, I think this passage has an extremely profound number of statements that, about the nature of love. And so if, like, rather than saying, oh, if I find the perfect person who matches all of my checklist, here's the thing. If you found the perfect person and you are in any way imperfect, you would not have a perfect relationship, right? I, and here, no one is perfect. <laughs> so you, you have no chance. What instead you can control is you can seek to become the type of person who is um, a good friend, or who is loyal, or who is gentle or patient, okay? How do I, now the big question is, how do I become this type of person? How do I become this type of person? And so uh, this is a little bit more complicated, uh, the points than normal, because there's a list. And so I'm not gonna have three points, but I'm gonna look at these five points based on this passage. We're gonna see what love is not. Uh, we're gonna see what love is. We're going to see the pillars of love, 
the expression of love, and the source of love. So that's a, that's a mouthful. That's a lot of different things. But what I really want to go through is, main point, uh, when we experience and learn from God's love for us, we can increasingly love other people in our lives the way he does. Okay? When we experience his love, when we know his love, when we have an ongoing relationship with God, then we can express that in, our li- in the relationships around us, and we can become a person who loves well, who's a good friend, okay? Um, who is not self-centered, the, these different things. Um, so we're going to see all of these different things, okay? So uh, let's go into our passage, Romans 12, verse 9. Uh, Paul is basically moving in the book of Romans from this long section, ver- chapters 1 through 11, of description what is true about God? What is true about us as humans? What does it mean to be accepted by God and have a relationship with him? And then he moves into the practical section in chapter 12. So this is basically asking the question, yeah, so what? Okay, sure, God loves me, so what? This is the so what. These are the implications. And so um, right off the bat, Paul says, let love be genuine. Now, this word for genuine is perhaps not the most precise translation. What Paul actually says is let love be without hypocrisy or simulation. So genuine, to be genuine is not to be a hypocrite. There's consistency between your outside self and your inside self, right? And so the Greek word is kind of colorful. It's like, um, and I've, I've said this before, but... Uh, Greeks invented drama, like plays, right? Um, are, are any of you in drama class? Some of you have taken drama before, right? Uh, so some of you have. And uh, back in the day, the Greeks did not really act with their faces. Uh, they put on a happy mask if they were a comic character, and they put on a sad mask if they were a sad character. And so you guys know like a lot of play um, companies have those like two masks where one's happy, one's sad. That's because this word for like hypocrisy is the same word for like putting on a mask. Okay? So for the Greeks, that's just how they would have thought of it. So when Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, what he's saying is at the core of Christian love is something that none of you think church is about or Christianity is about. I'm exaggerating, but at the core of Christian love is integrity. It's not faking it. It is a genuine love for people where you don't have to fake, like you don't have to put on a mask. This is very, very different than probably the way many of you interact in church. So um, there's kind of like a slander on Southern people where they talk about like um, basically uh, in southern churches or whatever, like someone can put on a big smile and like, oh, how are you doing? Like, oh my gosh, you look so beautiful. And then the next thing, they're talking to their girlfriend and they're like, oh my gosh, her, her, her shoes are so ugly or whatever. So it's like you're putting on a mask. You act one way in front of a, a, a person uh, when, they're, when you see them, and then you act a completely different way uh, when they're not looking. And so what is Paul saying here? With, here without hypocrisy, let your love have integrity and consistency and transparency in the way that you relate to people. And so some of you might be asking the natural question, uh, what do I do when I just don't feel it? I don't love this person. 
And what I would say is, when you understand the nature of love, what love is, it's something very different than you think. Love is not simply a matter of feeling, but it's a matter of your commitment to a person. And so uh, I liked your example of loyalty. The, the biblical, one of the biblical words for love is basically God loves people loyally, where we often love people depending on how they make us feel uh, or how they treat us, but God's love is very consistent regardless of what situation we are in. So, um, oh man, there's, uh, there's one of the uh, most philosophical movie series is The Fast and the Furious, all 10 of them. And in The Fast and the Furious, Dominic Toretto is a philosopher of family. He says a lot about family, right? And one of the things he says about family is um, basically, uh, uh, they, uh, you treat your family like family and with loyalty even when they run away or they don't treat the family that way, right? That's loyal love, that's beautiful love, that's good love. So let me try to make this a little, a little bit real. Um, if you have been in a long relationship with someone, what you realize is that your feelings for them change all the time. Your feelings for them change on any given day. And so what's really important is to figure out how you can consistently be a person who does acts of love for that person even when you don't feel it. Because your feelings are not dependent on your control. They're dependent on all kinds of random stuff. And so uh, C.S. Lewis has this part where he says, um, you might feel bad because you had something for lunch that doesn't agree with your stomach, and then you just take it out on the person around you, right? Or you're hungry, or you're tired. And you don't, like, when, you, when other people treat you that way, you might think to yourself, oh, that's not fair. Why are they treating my, me like this? But then when you do it, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I was hungry. You, it's like you're not, you're not seeing how it's so important for you to exhibit this loyal love uh, when you expect it from other people. And so this is what Paul is saying when he says, let love be genuine. So let love be without hypocrisy. How do you get this love? The only way you can get this love, this is what Christianity says, the only way you learn how to love someone is when you receive love from another person first, okay? You have to learn how to love people based on the way that people love you. And so uh, in, like, this, when you think about being a parent, when you think about being a child, the way you learn everything, how to talk, how to act, how to dress, how to do things, is, based, is totally dependent on your parents loving you in a certain way communicating with you in a certain way. And so the way they treat you is building patterns that totally um, impact the way you operate around other people. And so when parents aren't able to do that well, the kids are really infected. Um, but in the same way, what's so incredible about God being a father is God, when we experience his love as a father, he reparents us, which means he takes the family patterns that we've experienced that are dysfunctional and he says, let me show you how to love people well. So God does that. When we experience his love, he changes us. And the other thing I would say is the body of Christ, like you guys who are believers, um, you guys play such an important role in showing people how to love one another. So uh, one thing I would say, uh, I, I never know how you all perceive me, but 
I would say that I am like, I'm not joking. I am not gifted relationally. I did not have the, I'm, my parents are great, but they're not like an amazing example of like how to love, how to be like relational, <laughs> how to communicate with people, how to have like, like be on the same page as people and, you know, not get irritated or, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. But so for a lot of my life, I've had this struggle where I don't really enjoy being around people. I'm really introverted. And so I don't know if you guys think I'm introverted, but when I take the Myers-Briggs test, which is like a personality test, I was off the charts introverted, which means being around people can be really difficult for me. And so this is one of the things that's so incredible to me. Um, over time, God has really changed the way I relate to people. And the way that he did that is not by saying, oh, Daniel, stop being such a Debbie Downer. Stop sitting by yourself in the corner. You should be more friendly or you should go talk to that person. The way he does it, because that would be hypocritical. And so to force me to do something that is not consistent with how I'm feeling on the inside, it would be hypocritical. Now, that's the problem with many churches. Many churches say, you have to do these behaviors without addressing your heart or soul. And so this is a huge reason why our church operates the way we do. What we would say to people is, let your love be genuine. If your love is not genuine, then don't serve people, don't serve, don't pretend, don't act. Be authentic. If you want to sit in the corner because you don't feel it, do that. But what we hope for you is when you experience the love of God for you, it actually transforms your care for other people. And so one thing that I realized over a long period of time, and I'm going to talk about this in the different points we talk about, was um, while I am introverted, uh, part of the problem with that is I'm constantly focused on how I'm feeling, and I'm very self-focused. So I am not aware, I am not considerate of how a different person in the room might be feeling. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying you have to like always do the right thing and like, oh, if you're introverted, you have to like be the life of the party. Don't, don't worry about any of that. But what I would challenge you to say is, because I do this myself, is when you're feeling very introverted, um, that's fine. But if all of your life is characterized by a self-focus, when you are never considerate of other people's feelings, um, there's something lacking there. There's a better way of life than simply paying attention to how you're feeling. So people talk about self-consciousness, right? I'm so self-conscious, I'm so worried about what other people think about me. But what's really incredible is um, what we're gonna see here. There's a totally different way of operating towards people. So let's look at uh, this next section, Romans 12.10. I'm skipping part of it where it says, abhor what is evil and um, cling to what is good. What I would say there is Paul is saying, when you know God, uh, your values are transformed. And that's kind of all I'm going to say about that right now. But what, what's really interesting is uh, you are letting God define what is evil and what is good. And then you are on the same page with him when it comes to those things. Okay? But let's look at 1210. Love one another with brotherly affection. So we talked about how true love is not hypocritical. It's not faking it. Instead, True love, Christian love, is characterized by brotherly affection. So the word there basically means 
Um, we all know what this is like. In many families, or when you relate to people, there, it's, it's the thing called cliques, right? Like in, in, in school, there's all these cliques. In churches, there are these cliques. It's basically you associate and you very naturally like and spend time with people who are like you and have similar interests, right? And then this also, in this word, he's saying the, the ultimate clique is the family, right? So your blood relatives. It is so natural to prioritize your family over anything else. And so there, it goes in both directions where you generally, I mean, in healthy families, you like your family, you prefer them, you spend a lot of time with them, or even if you don't like them, you are obligated to go to Thanksgiving because that's what families do, right? And so the idea there is you are loyal to your family even when your feelings come and go. What Paul is saying here is extremely challenging, and it's also very beautiful. He's saying that Jews and Gentiles, so two very different ethnic groups who have very little in common, you should love each other with brotherly affection. So the closeness of brothers, you should have that same affection for each other. I, when, I, when I'm saying should, I'm saying it is possible to actually authentically manifest this love for people who are completely different from you on the basis of what Jesus did and how he unified completely different people together. So there's the thing of being a blood brother. Do you guys know what that is? Um, in like a Western or in like these old movies, in, in like the man movies, right, where they're like Kung Fu masters or whatever, and they like, they like cut their hands, and then they both cut their hands, and they're like, I will be your brother forever, and then they like stick their hands together, and their blood is like bleeding into each All you girls are like, oh, that's gross. Yeah, it's gross. But it's how you become a blood brother, okay? As Christians, we are blood brothers and sisters, where the blood of Jesus is the thing that unites us together and makes us part of the same family. And so we talked about the Father, how the Father sends the Son and the Spirit to bring everyone, all kinds of different people, into the same family. We are all adopted siblings of God. And so once we understand this, once we understand what God has done, it changes the way we relate to each other. And this is challenging to Chinese culture because Chinese culture can prioritize family obligations at the expense of people who are not outside the family or don't look like are not Chinese people, for example. Um, but Christian love transcends that where it says, you look different than me. You are not Chinese. I am only half Chinese. We look different. I don't speak Mandarin, but we are family. We are family, and so we love each other in this way. We are committed to each other. The same effort that you make towards your family, it's generous. You're, we're saying, you are my family, and we have our responsibility to honor and love our family. God says that. But this is a generous love where you're like opening up your home, your family, and you're opening up to strangers and people you don't know as well, and you're saying, come in, come in. Can you become part of my family? Because we are united in Christ. Uh, so let me use an example of this. Um, I've shared about them a little bit, but uh, this is such a beautiful example to me. Um, when Ashley and I bought a house in 2020, uh, a lot of stuff happened, you know, like we got a puppy, we got a baby. So we started walking around the neighborhood, would always do that. And so one time we were walking by a house and this couple basically were standing outside of their house and they, they like went up to us and they were smiling and they're saying like, oh, hi, who are you? Like, oh, you have a baby, like, let me see your baby. Um, this was a couple, African-American couple named Peter and Bridget. 
So Peter and Bridget are very different than us. Uh, I, we both are Asian American, they're African American. Uh, we have very different backgrounds. He came from the inner city. I came from Cupertino, which is like the Chinese city or something. I don't know. It's very different. <clears throat> it's very different. But they were so incredibly welcoming to us. And so the first thing they did was he opened up his garage and he's like, come inside, come inside, come inside. And we're like, whoa, this is weird. Like, neither my family nor Ashley's family was very, like, friendly with neighbors, but they were so friendly with us. And this was just totally authentic. This was them being who they were. So Ashley's family is really private. My family is really private. This was very strange to me. But we went inside, and it's really interesting. So Peter is probably in his mid-60s, and they're both ex-Navy, so they both are, uh, sorry, ex-Army. So they both like were in the military, and Peter has a shrine to comic books and Marvel superheroes. Literally a shrine. There are huge posters plastered on the wall. There's a gigantic collection of silver and gold age Marvel comics. He has all of these like, you know, Black Panther and Captain America like figurines like put everywhere. And he's like, oh yeah, look, this is my hobby, like come. And so then we started talking more and we learned that they are both Christian. And I was like, whoa, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Did you know that? And so like, oh my gosh, it's so great to meet you. Now, they are so warm and loving, and there is nothing fake about it. So they just welcome every single random person who walks by their street. They, get, they, they like welcome them and treat them the same way. They're so generous with their love and hospitality and affection. And so, man, here, let me use this other example. A different time, as Ashley and I were walking around, Ashley... It was either when Ashley was pregnant or when we already had Toby. Oh, it must have been when we already had Toby. Toby was having a hard time sleeping. We were super exhausted, one of the early months of parenting. And Ashley was often on the verge of like, you know, tears, like really struggling. We're having a hard time. And so we were walking by. We were walking by their house. And then their car pulled up into the, into the driveway and pulled in. And then they came out of the car and they're like, hey guys, don't walk away, like, come, come, come spend time with us. And then they're like, you know, asking how we're doing and they're showering us with attention. And then Ashley, um, what's weird is when they talk to us, Ashley often starts crying because they draw out in her like her deepest feelings about what's going on and they're so comforting and encouraging and they ask us and they really care. And so she was sharing how she was a hard having a hard time and they prayed for us and then what they did next, I'll always remember, Peter, they had just come from the grocery store. And so Peter had bought his wife, Bridget, um, a bouquet of roses, as you know, a husband does. And when Bridget was holding the roses, and she saw Ashley really having a hard time, and she gave Ashley the roses and said, I want you to have these. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? They are treating us like family. She's like, you are, you're my daughter's age. This is how I would treat my daughter if my daughter was having a tough time. They're so generous. This is what it means for love to be without hypocrisy. This is what it means to love one another with brotherly affection. And so what I, the way I would challenge introverts is I would say, ask God for help in expanding and becoming more generous with your time and attention. Don't just pay attention to how you're feeling. Try to think to yourself, you know what? I know what it's like to feel like I don't belong or to feel out of place. There's someone over there who I notice who looks like they don't feel like they belong. 
How can I try to make them feel comfortable? This is really, really beautiful. And so um, the reason I say this is because through, when, I, when I went to college, um, I was extremely introverted, and I had a really hard time getting outside of my dorm room. I'm not like a party person. I don't want to go out and meet new people. And so the only reason that I had friends was because one person I knew, my roommate, John Bryant, who's like really, really awesome, he's an interesting guy. Um, he's uh, six foot eight, and his brother is also six foot eight, and he weighs around 330 pounds, his brother. He was, a, he was on the practice squad for the San Diego Chargers, which is a professional football team, and then he became a sheriff. That's not my roommate. My roommate, John, is like super tall, but he's super skinny, except he has a pot belly. And anyway, um, so John, what he would do was he knew that I was introverted, and so he persistently, he persistently went into my room and was like, come join us to get pancakes. Come join us to play Frisbee, to play basketball. Come out of your shell, Daniel. Come do different stuff. And so what I appreciate so much is he was saying, I want to involve you in what's going on because I care about you. And he just did that over and over and over again. And that really helped me. And so if you're an introvert, um, you don't have to even take the initiative in some sense. Uh, what I would challenge the extroverts with doing is invite the introverts. If they say no, it's fine, but continue to do it. Continue to involve people. And then over time, as you learn how valuable and loving and generous it is to invite people and take initiative, I've, I hope that I have started to change where I reach out to people first because I want to involve them and I care about them, okay? Love people with brotherly affection. That's what love is. Um, so the next thing I want you to see is the pillars of love. So you guys know what pillars are? There are these strong columns that support like an overhanging structure, right? There are pillars of love that are super duper important as a Christian. This is how you love people. The reason you need these pillars is because love is very challenging. When people are going through difficult things, it is very difficult to stay connected to them, to hear what affliction they're going through, to be loyal to them, to stick with them. It's hard. When you look at the world, things are so difficult and hopeless. Um, it's hard to love people because you feel like you need to survive. Do you know what I mean? If you're really anxious about things, you're anxious about all these different responsibilities you have, it's really hard to get outside of that anxiety and try to pay attention to a different person, another person who's not you, because you're freaking out about all the things that you're struggling with, right? And so underneath love, you have to have these pillars, these pillars that Paul talks about. In, in chapter 12, or verse 12, Paul says, rejoice in hope. As a believer, it is possible to have joy in suffering and difficulty because we know that God is going to bring good in the future. And God is going to take things that are terrible and wrong and tragic and make them right. And so you can actually say, before the good thing comes, um, I can rejoice in the fact that God is going to set things right. So like the same way that you guys, so for some of you, if you're in class and it's in, the, it's in your least favorite class and time goes so slow and it's the period before lunch and you're hungry and you're like, oh my gosh, when is this dumb class going to be over? And it's just so difficult to sit through it. There's another way of, um, the, what, what you also can do is you can look forward so much to what's coming. 
You anticipate it. Or, you know, we went to Disneyland not too long ago, and for weeks before, Ashley and I were anticipating taking our son Toby to Disneyland. He's going to have so much fun. We would imagine all the different things we would do. And that's so enjoyable. And this actually totally changes your mindset, where as you rejoice in hope, you're looking outside of yourself. You're looking forward to something. And that helps you persevere. Next thing, be patient in tribulation. And the word patient means like endure pressure or suffering. If you want to be a good friend, you have to endure the suffering of being with people who are suffering, right? And this is not, so um, people talk about uh, people who are toxic, where, or, you know, people talk about this person being draining to me, right? When I'm around them, they're such a bummer, they're always draining me, like I need to recover my energy. But a different way of saying it is, this person really needs support and encouragement. And if you want to be a good friend, it means sitting with them as they're going through something hard, and there is a cost to you, but it's beautiful. What you're doing is self-sacrificial generosity, where you're giving them your time and energy and attention and emotional energy uh, to pour into them. Now, again, this is not saying that you don't care about your mental health or whatever it might be, but all I'm painting is this is a picture. If you have inner resilience, if you experience the love of God and his support for you, you can love people without it draining you dry. And honestly, this is the only way that like, we can function um, as a family or I can function doing ministry. I have really, really hard conversations with people, really, really, really sad, hard conversations with people. And the only way that I can handle that and not be torn apart by it, not be depressed or not just like, like be overwhelmed by other people's sorrow and suffering is by trusting God and hoping in him and then asking him for help as I'm talking with them and trying to attend to them and love them and care for them. That's what it means to be loving. Uh, be constant in prayer. This is what Edwin was saying last week. Have a moment by moment relationship with God where you experience his love for you. You talk to him about what you're doing. You're open to him. You say, God, what do you want to do together today? Who do you want me to love today? Okay? So um, a few applications. Uh, introverts, but everyone, don't get out of your comfort zone. I want to tell you, don't get out of your comfort zone. That is the wrong way of looking at it. When you're saying, I want to get out of my comfort zone, you're still thinking about yourself. The Christian way of approaching this is seek to put other people in their comfort zone. Be considerate and loving to that other person and do it out of love. When people say get out of your comfort zone, it's all about you. It's all about like self-help or improvement. Those things are fine. But this, this is such an incredible way to show love to people by saying, how can I notice someone feels uncomfortable and try to make them feel comfortable? The way we do this um, is by initiating, through serving, through being hospitable. Um, but let me, let me get to our second kind of application. Love expresses itself in words and deeds. So Romans says, outdo one another in showing honor. This is actually really, really practical for you guys. What does it mean to show honor to someone? What do you guys think? Someone said something? What do you think? You got an idea? Amber, you got an idea? Daniel, you got an idea? <laughs> Jaden, you got it. <laughs> to show honor to someone, um, you, you like, oh, you bow before a king. 
You're like showing them respect. You're showing them honor. Or, or um, the flag, you know, like the American flag is flying and you like put your hand on your ch- while you're singing the national anthem, right? That's showing respect and honor because there's something or someone who's important. And so when, when Paul is saying show honor to someone, in, in that phrase, he's saying, I might be feeling a certain way, but you are so important to me. And so I'm going to put aside how I feel in this moment, and I want to show you respect and love. You know what I mean? Like, it is possible. Let me give another example from college acceptance. I really like this one. Uh, let's pretend that you, you did not get into a school that you really wanted to get into, and then your friend comes up to you and is like, can you believe where I got into? It's the school that you wanted to go to but got rejected from. It's really tough, right? That's a really tough situation. By showing honor to them, by being a good friend, it is possible for you to both be sad about not getting in, but also to be happy for them that they got in, right? This is challenging, but it's basically say, I love you so much, and I respect you, and I want to give you this, like, I want to appreciate you and and be happy with you, even though inside you're dying, you know, like, but that's actually what it looks like to love someone. Because we're not always going through good stuff together. We're not always going through bad stuff. Sometimes there's good and bad. Um, The other thing I would say is you can show honor by using your words. So this is really, really important. One way that you can show honor to each other is by appreciating and encouraging other people. And so the first thing you have to do in order to, to encourage someone is you have to notice them. What I mean by that is you have to be outside of yourself. You can't be always self-centered and thinking about yourself. You have to look at them, and you have to notice what they're doing, and then you show appreciation by being specific, by telling them, and then you can make your compliment kind of character-oriented. This, this is from like my dad and Fred Mock. They, they did uh, sermons and talks on encouragement, but these are really great. If you want to encourage someone, you have to notice them. You have to think through how you can express your appreciation and honor, and one great way of doing this is by being specific and complimenting their character. So um, if you're in a Chinese family, uh, sometimes the problem is all of our compliments are performance-oriented. What I mean by this is we, we compliment people based on their talents or intelligence or success. And so it's more about what they're doing. Like, you did a good job. And so if all you compliment someone on is how good they do at something, you're not really complimenting them for who they are. Do you know what I mean? And and that means that your respect for them is dependent and conditional on how well they do. So if you're a parent, compliment your kids not just on how well they do or how poorly they do, compliment them on their character, where you say, I noticed that even though you did bad on this test, you were studying really hard and I really appreciate how you're making an effort to learn the subject that's difficult for you. Do you see what I'm saying? There's actually something really good and beautiful there that you can encourage. And that's such a better way of relating to them than to say, oh, you suck, or like, you know, or, or you just don't say anything. There's that kind of like damning silence, right, where they're just like, oh, you got to be. So uh, outdo one another in showing honor. In the church, in the body of Christ, can we become people who are constantly looking for ways to show honor to each other. And so Andrew and Oksana are leaving. I wanted to show you guys honor. Um, Andrew and Oksana have not been in our church for very long, but from the moment they stepped through the doors, 
they have been so incredibly service-oriented and considerate of other people. So Oksana, when she got, when I, I married them in, in the sanctuary over there, and then on that day, that whole week, she had spent like a week making two gigantic cakes. The wedding girl was baking cakes that served like 100 people at our church. That is how self-other-oriented you guys are. And you always cook food for us, and you're always paying attention. You give people rides to like Nick and little Ashley and different people. You guys are so amazing, and that's something so beautiful. That is you guys living out the love of God for people in our group. And we appreciate that so much, and so we're going to miss you when you're gone. But uh, come back soon. So this is kind of what it looks like to express your love through words. You also express your love through actions, where Paul writes uh, in that other section, wait, sorry, sorry, I lost it. Uh, In verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, where he's saying, as you experience the welcome of God in your life, you can look at people and say, I want to welcome you. I want to meet your needs because God has met so many of my needs, right? Do you see what I'm saying? In order to love someone, you have to come from a place of inner contentment, inner strength. If you are incredibly needy, where you always are seeking other people to fill this emptiness, it will be impossible for you to pay attention to them because you only relate to people in the way that they meet your needs. And so, like, I say this from personal, my own personal life, uh, when you are dating someone for the first time, you love the way they make you feel. Did you hear me? You like the way they make you feel. What, what I didn't say is, you like them. You get me? It is very possible that much of the way we relate to people is more based on what that person does for us than us being centered on them and seeking to serve and love them. But in order for that to happen, you need these inner resources. And what we believe as Christians is this can only come from God. The only way that we can love people across ethnic differences, across education or social status or whatever it might be, education, economy, whatever you want to call it, the only way we can truly love people across differences, in my mind, is by looking at the way God loved us and the way that Jesus, who was so rich, he had everything in the world, and then he became poor and he suffered and died for us. So Jesus was saying basically, I am going to be so generous with my life, I'm willing to leave comfort so that I can bring you into comfort and love you. And then if you're a Christian, this is a challenge, but it's an encouragement. You are so incredibly loved by God And when you feel that, when you know that deeply, it transforms you and you become outward focused rather than simply caring about yourself. And this is not faking it. This is not pressure or me forcing you to do it. This is just the natural outflow of your experience of the love of God. You are loved regardless of whether you love other people, but once you know how much you're loved, you want to love other people. You get me? That's what it means to love as a Christian, okay? That's what it means for love to be genuine. Um, And so just conclude, just to finish this up, um, we are loved by God so we can love one another. We are needy. We need the love of God to fill us. 
And if you can't love people, I would say part of the reason is you really need to experience how much God loves you as a father. When your parents, when your friends, when your significant other, when your spouse, when no one in your life can fill the emptiness inside of you, the reason for that is because you are meant to have a relationship with your heavenly father who can love you in the perfect way that no one else can. And once you experience that fullness, that wholeness, then you can love other people. And the incredible thing is we are needy. We are, but we are also needed by other people. There are other people who are hurting and in need of help. And so I was sharing with this with our adult Sunday school. Um, uh, people who are mental health workers, who are counselors, they have a much higher rate of experience with mental health issues, abuse, and trauma. Did you know that? Counselors have, I, I think it could be like three times or four times more incidents of depression, anxiety, trauma, experience of abuse. But the way that they take that, what they do with that, is they say, I have experienced this deep pain, but I'm not going to let that destroy me. I'm going to channel that pain into loving and helping people who have the same difficulty. Isn't that so beautiful and brave? Isn't that so incredible? Isn't that the type of person you want to be where when you experience this pain, this neediness, you go to God, you ask him for help, he strengthens you, and then you realize it's not all about you. Like, you are so important and beloved by God, but so is that person who feels so lonely, and you can be an instrument of God who can help that person experience God's love and experience wholeness. And so Henry Nouwen has this phrase where he says, we are wounded healers. We are wounded. We have deep need and, and wounds. We are hurt. We are damaged by life and tragedy and suffering, but we can be healers too. And the wounds we experience actually qualifies us to help people who have wounds and the same wounds that we do. So experiencing depression, all is, sorry, I'm going long, but um, my former pastor, Peter Fong, uh, I was in my early 20s and I was really depressed. And so I came up to him in his office and I was like, Peter, I really struggle with depression. Can you help me? Can you give me some Bible verse? Can you pray for me? Can you do something to fix my depression? And he, do you know what I said? He said, nope, sorry, I can't help you. He said, I've never experienced depression. I have no idea how to help you. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what it's like. And I really appreciate that. And what that made me realize is, like, because I'm depressed, I know what it's like. And I can actually talk to people and empathize with them and listen to them. And this is actually an incredible gift from God to help people. And so the very things that you struggle with are the very sources of strength and help and healing that you can give to other people in your life, as long as you are, in a sense, willing to let God work through you. And that means looking outside of yourself. Final thing I would say is when we think about loving God, we, we think we love, God loves us, so therefore, what do we do? When someone loves you, you love them back. The way that God actually talks about things is God loves us, and then we love the people that God loves. So the way I would illustrate that is if you want to care for me, one of the most amazing things you can do, and on you youth are like awesome at this, you guys love my son. I feel loved by you when you love the person I love. In the same way, what God really wants, we obviously love God in response. We obviously are grateful and thankful to him. 
but the direction is God, we love because God first loved us. We love other people because God first loved us. We experience God's love and we pour it out to the people around us. Now, this is a picture of a beautiful purpose-driven life, isn't it? I would rather live a painful and difficult life that's full of suffering and hardship because I am so connected to people who are suffering and going through difficulty. And I am such a loyal and good friend that I am patiently walking with them through their difficulty and their neediness, and I want to help them. And then when I am the person who is needy, I have a deep relationship with them where they can help me. And we have this deep connection, and you, you guys know what I'm saying, right? This is what it looks like to love people. Do you guys get this? <laughs> is this different than what you thought? It's not just like, you know, chick flicks and stuff. It's not just like K-dramas. That's not all that love is about. It's deep friendship and commitment and loyalty. It's genuine coming from your love, God's love of you and expressing it to each other. Let's love one another without hypocrisy. Let's express it through words and deeds. Let's experience the love of God and show it to each other. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you would make our church a place where we are so generous with our lives, with our time, with our attention, with our love. I pray we would be good listeners, we'd be patient, we would attend to people when they're suffering. We would not try to give answers, but we would be present with them as they're going through it. I pray we'd be good friends, good spouses and children and parents who can express your love to all the people around us in ways that are so beautiful and glorifying to you. Um, I pray you would give us help. You would help us uh, take us outside of ourselves and see other people as they are, as you've made them, as beloved by you. We need you to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.